Well, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Uh, if you're visiting, we're grateful that you took the risk and ascent and stepped out. Uh, and also, if you're joining us online, thank you for being with us. So I was a kid. It was, I was about maybe 10, 11 years old. It was the end of the year, end of the summer, swim team, season party. There's cookout, there's hot dogs, and there's all kinds of fun. And uh, one of my friends, dad, suddenly has to leave. And so I asked my uh, parents later, what, what happened that Billy's dad left? Well, Billy's dad is, was an obstetrician, and he had a pager on his thing, and the page called, and, and he had to go. Well, I, I didn't know. Did he want to go? No. No, he didn't. But it was part of the job. You, you work as an obstetrician in a small group like that. You understand. His agenda was to stay. Um, his job's agenda said, you have to do something else. It's a little bit of a picture of when we choose to follow God, our agenda may be rewritten from time to time. Following Christ, just like this guy choosing to go into obstetrics had an impact on his agenda, following Christ will also have an impact on our agenda. And I, I want to talk about that today. How does following Jesus impact our agenda? So if you've got a, a Bible, if you'd open that to 1 Samuel 24. We're going to go all the way through this chapter and wrestle with this question. How does following Jesus impact our agenda? If you haven't been with us, we're in this series called Reliant. We're going through the books of 1 and 2 Samuel, where Israel transitions from being a loose federation of states to a, to a monarchy, and wrestling with kind of what those people went through that we might become a whole lot less self-reliant and a, more, a whole lot more reliant on God. Just a little bit of a snapshot of where we've been. Israel's in the promised land, but they're not experiencing the fullness of it. And a lot of times they're, they're being afflicted from, from enemies, and, and at times they're being occupied. And they think, you know, we need some security here, so we would be good if we could have a king like every other nation. The prophet was Samuel, and God spoke to Samuel, said, you know, that's not a really good idea. But the people kept pushing and pushing and pushing for a king. And finally God says, okay, so you can learn that you ultimately need me, I'm going to give you your king. And the first king's name is a guy named Saul. And when Saul was anointed the king, the, the wording was real clear. You don't have absolute authority here. Your kingship under, operates under my authority. Well, Saul didn't get that message. And a couple times he did, went out on his own, did his own thing, and God said, I'm moving on. And he anointed a second king. His name's David. That's David of David and Goliath fame. Dropped the giant with the, the stone. And... Um, David's stock is kind of on the rise. His popularity is growing, and Saul's threatened by that. I don't know that Saul knows that David's been anointed king, but he sees that people are turning to him. And so he decides he needs to end David's life. And he begins with all the uh, resources of the G Israeli army, pursue David. Um, we've been reading about that chase a couple weeks ago. David was deceptive, and it cost the lives of 85 people. Last week, we were at, right at the point where Saul was about to capture David, and Oh, there was a Philistine raid, and, and Saul got called off for the moment. But the chase continues here as we pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 1. It says, Now when Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men in the front of the rocks of the wild goats. So Saul's coming with 3,000 soldiers. We know from prior readings that, that David's army is 600. 
You don't have to be real schooled in military intelligence to know. That's a five to one advantage. And Saul's got all the other resources at his hand to capture David. Verse 3, it says, He, Saul, came to the sheepfolds on the way where there was a cave. Often the sheep, where the, they would, sheepfold where they would kind of shelter their sheep, they, they'd use a cave to do that because it offered some natural protection. So that's abandoned at this point. And Saul, verse, middle of verse 3, and Saul went in to relieve himself. He's got to go to the bathroom. What he doesn't know is the second part of verse 3. Now David and his men were sitting in the inner recesses of the cave. So Saul walks in alone, and I guess these guys are lying in the wall and hiding. And you talk about an opportunity to end it. I mean, Saul has been chasing David, and his 600 men, they're, they're, they're on the run. I mean, they're here and there, and they're, they're making do, and who knows about their living conditions. This is a God-given opportunity, right? That's what the men think in verse 4. The men of David said to him, behold, this is the day. Of which the Lord, this is the Lord's day. The Lord said to you, behold, I'm about to give your enemy into your hand and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. If you're not going to follow Jesus, Jesus says we've got to be in the world but not of the world. There are going to be times where your relationship with Jesus is going to bring you into conflict with people. There's a values different here. In the flesh, I mean, if you're David or you're one of David's men, don't you want to be done with this chase? Can we just run the guy through? The old king is dead. We get the new king up there and we can stop living like nomads. David, this is the opportunity. So go for it. So what does David do? Then David arose and cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly. That's not what they had in mind. The edge of the robe, that's not what they had in mind. They were thinking, you thrust him through. He's dead. Game over. What's the deal? Verse 5. It came about afterward that David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. Seriously? Seriously? Your conscience is... I thought you were going to run the guy through and you're having a guilt attack, conscience attack, because you cut off the edge of his robe. What's this about? Verse 6. So he said to his men... Far be it from me because of the Lord that I should do this thing to my Lord. Talking about Saul. The Lord's anointed to stretch out my hand against him since he is the Lord's anointed. See, see, David said, my relationship with the Lord won't allow me to do that. Because I understand my Lord has picked Saul as king. And it's the Lord, God in heaven who has the choice of when he can take out Saul. He can take out Saul anyway. He can have a heart attack. He can have a natural disaster. He can take him out. He hasn't chosen to take him out. And I'm going to wait on that. And so our ascension to the throne, that might be our personal agenda. That's not God's agenda. That's going to have to wait. And, and apparently God's got some more things to teach David about trusting him and about faith before he ascends to the throne. Verse 7. David persuaded his men with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. Saul arose, left the cave, and went on his way. Personal agenda, let's, let's end this. Let's take Saul out and let's take the kingship. That would probably be David's men's agenda. and in, in the flesh, on his own, that would be David's agenda. But that's not God's agenda. 
God's got a longer process for some reason for David. See, we're wrestling with this question. How does following Jesus, how will following Jesus impact our agenda? Here's the deal. In assuming Jesus, we assume God will rewrite our agenda. You serious about following Jesus? I'm serious about following Jesus? We're going to rewrite our agenda. Count on it. Assume it. Well, Andy, what areas of your life are you talking about? You talking about my career? Yep. Talking about my dating life? Yep. Talking about the friends I choose? Yep. Talking about my kids? Yep. You talking about my retirement? Yep. You talking about how I spend my money? Yep. God is going to rewrite our agenda if we're following him. Count on it. Well, as we go back to verse 8, David and Saul are going to have a conversation, albeit from a distance. It says, Now afterward, David arose and went out to the cave and called after Saul, saying, My lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the ground and prostrated himself. Why? Because he's respecting God's anointing. God's chosen. That doesn't keep David from asking questions. David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men, saying, Behold, David seeks to harm you. Saul, somebody's in your ear saying stuff that ain't true. I'm not after you. I'm going to give you some evidence here, Saul. Verse 10 and 11. Behold, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord had given you today into, the hand, into my hand in the cave. And some said to kill you, but my eye had pity on you. I said, I will not stretch out my hand against the Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Now, my father, see. Indeed, see the edge of your robe in my hand. Look, 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 look. Look, I, I've got, I got the edge of your robe right here. Take a look. For in that I cut off the edge of your robe and did not kill you, no one perceived that there is no evil or rebellion in my hands, and I have not sinned against you, though you are lying in wait for my life to take it. So you're looking at your robe, and there's a corner, there's a piece missing. Woohoo, here it is. You didn't even know it. I was close enough to cut off your robe, and I didn't take your life. Whoever's in your ear telling you I'm trying to hurt you, they're wrong, because I had my opportunity, and I chose to let it go. Why? Because I'm living God's agenda, not my own. Verse 12, David says, May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. Now, if you and I are going to get serious about living out God's agenda for our lives and not our own, one of the things we're going to have to do is we're going to have to count on God's justice. That means we're not taking justice into our own hands. All right, so here's where I think you and I got some things in common. We got some stuff in our background where that person did us wrong, and, and, and we just want to bring justice, right? God said, no, 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 no. You need to wait on me. That's a statement of faith that I think God's going to make things right. But if you, if you think this, yeah, Andy, you're right. I, I'm going to start believing. I'm going to start living out God's agenda instead of my own for my life. Then you're going to have to count on the justice of God. Amen. Which means you're not going to bring, I'm not going to bring justice of my own. As the Proverbs of the ancient says, out of the wicked comes forth wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom are you pursuing? A dead dog, a single flea. Saul, you're the king of Israel, dude. 
And you got 3,000 men, you got the resources chasing one guy. I got no clout, I got nothing. What are you thinking? The Lord, David says, therefore be judge and decide between you and me. And may he see and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. Second time, David says, I'm counting on the justice of God. May he see what's going on. Because, man, I had you. And I chose to let you go. And you're out here with 3,000 soldiers. Come after me. I've done nothing wrong against you. Wow. How Saul respond. Verse 16. When Saul had finished speaking these words to Saul. Saul said. Is this your voice? My son David. Son is a term of affection. See that back in the day. Saul was moody. And he needed somebody to play the harp. To bring him out of his moods. That was David. David served Saul. David was part of Saul's army. David was Saul's armor bearer. David was a leader in Saul's army. There was a relationship there at one point. Until Saul got paranoid. Got desperate to hold on. To his kingship. Then Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said, David, you're more righteous than I. For you've dealt with, well with me while I've dealt wickedly with you. How do you guys feel about being in a relationship who says, you know what? You've done well with me, but I, I've done wick wickedly with you. But I, I'm just going to keep going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's where you're going to have to count on the justice of God. Saul's willing to admit, David, you've been good to me. I'm not so much me with you. You have declared today that you have done good to me, that the Lord delivered me into your hands, yet you did not kill me. Well, there's, there's your proof. Here's the question. For a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safely? Most cases, no. <laughs> no, if you're an enemy and we're at war, I'm going to take you out. But David, because you're living a different agenda, you're living God's agenda, you let me go. That's not normal. May the Lord therefore reward you with good in return for what you have done to me this day. If you catch nothing else, catch this statement in verse 20. Saul says, now behold, I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hand. Saul, if you know David's going to be king, why do you keep chasing him? You're fighting against God. Why are you doing that? We can get pretty crazy when we get disconnected with God. We're going to bring in our own. And, and we contradict even ourselves. You know how many times in ministry I talk to somebody and they'll say, yeah, I, I shouldn't be doing that. Yeah, but you keep doing it. Why, why are you doing that? Saul is, he's so convinced that David's going to be king. Here's what he says, verse 21 and 22. Now, swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me and that you will not destroy my name from my father's household. Why would you do that? Because see, when a new king comes in, he usually got rid of the old king's family. Because he didn't want descendants left around that might be claiming the throne. So Saul said, I'm so sure that you're going to be king. I need you to swear you won't take out my family. David swore to him and Saul went to his home. But David's men went up to the stronghold. A few thoughts here. Um, David honors Saul. You might even argue that he, he forgives Saul in some level, but he doesn't trust Saul. And I think we need to know that. There's people in our lives that they may have a position. Or they, we're, we're called to forgive everybody. But Saul has shown himself to be very unstable. 
David doesn't trust him. We need to be able to discern that with people. Called to honor them, called to forgive them, but they may not be trustworthy people. So, what's your agenda? What are you talking about, Andy? You talking about for my, my career? Yeah, we talking about that. For, for my leisure time? Yeah, yeah, I'm talking about that. Uh, if you're single for, for my dating life? Yeah, yeah, I'm talking about that. If you're in high school and you're developing a set of friends, are you talking? Yeah, I'm talking about. Well, I, I, I'm talking about everything. You serious about following Jesus? He's going to want to rewrite that agenda. Count on it. He's going to do it. So we had an agenda, hoping I did. We were finishing, I was in my second to last quarter of seminary. June of 96, we were going to spend the summer. She's from Alabama. We were finishing up raising our support. I'd come back in the fall. This is at Denver Seminary. And then we were already uh, going to language school in Costa Rica in January. We were already planning on that. And so we leave Denver, and we come through Lincoln, Nebraska. I've got a college roommate here who was a singles pastor at Lincoln Brian. And we get in at about 3 o'clock on, I don't know, one weekday afternoon, and we leave about 9 o'clock the next morning. And they lived over by the zoo, so we walked around, and we thought, man, this is a really nice town. Bad, you know, good schools, good community, nice thing. But I'm glad we got to see it, because we will never have reason to be back in Lincoln again. <laughs> see, when we went to Latin America, I mean, we were going to for 5 to 10 years. And it didn't work out. And five years later, we're down at a small church in Arizona. And that same roommate, Lincoln Brian, who was a singles pastor, called and said, hey, I'm leaving. Would you consider applying to come? One thing led to another. We came on staff at Lincoln Brian, planted this church out of Lincoln Brian. And here we are 20 years later. I've never lived in a place longer in my life than Lincoln, Nebraska. Again, God has the final say, but as my wife and I think, I, I think this is where we'll be for the long term. It's been a great place for our family. It's been a great ministry opportunity. But I've got to tell you, that agenda of not being missionaries in Latin America was really painful. I got my Spanish. I loved Latin culture. We were in Chile, and as much as I'd been honored as a preacher, it was down there. That pastor, as he grew to trust me, any time he was gone, it was probably a church of four or 500, he'd just, I'd fill a pulpit for him on Sunday mornings. Total foreigner, speaking a second language. I've never been more flattered. And yet God closed the door for us to be there. What am I saying? Sometimes in the short term, when your agenda dies, it's hard. It's hard. And I can tell you now, 25 years later, this is the place we needed to be. But that living God's agenda instead of your own is a statement of faith. Amen. That we believe God is trustworthy and we don't understand why he's rewriting our agenda. We'll take him at his word. See, Jesus, Jesus had to live this out. Before he went into public ministry, uh, the Spirit led him into the wilderness. And he was going to be tempted by the devil. And there were several temptations. But here's the second one. Uh, in Matthew 4, 8, 9, the devil took him to 
a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, hey, Jesus, all these things I will give you, I'll just do this if you fall down and worship me. Jesus, you don't have to go to the cross. You can get all the worship of these folk if you'll just worship me. Jesus said, hey, I can't do that because the scripture says I'm to worship God and God alone. See, see God had a bigger agenda for Jesus. Uh, it talked about in Philippians 2. After Jesus dies and resurrects from, resurrects from the dead and purchases your salvation and mine, here's what it says. For this reason, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Father had a much bigger agenda for Jesus than just the kingdoms of the world. He had people throughout eternity. Whether they accept it or not, they will confess you, Jesus is Lord, and they will bow the knee. The Father had a bigger agenda for Jesus than the devil did. That ought not to surprise us. When your agenda dies and God rewrites it, it's because God has got a bigger, fuller, more abundant agenda for you Amen. than we have for ourselves. David and his flesh would have wanted to be king right now. But God said, I got a few things to teach you about trusting me. And when you become king, you will take Israel to the heights. God's going to rewrite your agenda. But it's because he's good. And he wants fullness of life for you. How many in here have been parents? Been parents? Okay, there's a few of you. Okay, so when we have babies, we give up our agenda. Especially when it comes to sleeping. When we lay down at night with a newborn, our agenda is a full night's sleep, isn't it? Well, that gets wrecked all the time, doesn't it? Stinking kids. But we just assume that. My agenda for the night, I choose that because of these relationships. I gladly choose that because of these relationships. So we had our oldest son, and he turned out to be a great sleeper. At six weeks, he sleeps through the night. And I don't know, it's 5.30 or 6 in the morning. And my wife is like, oh, what happened? Now, now we're awake and we run, 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 run. And he's doing what we want. He's snoozing away. Even in his sleeping, he's wrecking our agenda. <laughs> Here's my point. If it's true with a child, how much more with the eternal God? How much more with the baby Jesus who took on human flesh and died that you and I might live? See, see following Jesus, we just assume, we sign up that he's going to rewrite our agenda for every part of our lives. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we're grateful if not challenged by the word of Jesus and your word as is recorded by the author of First and Second Samuel. David surely wanted this chase to be over. But you had some stuff to be done till he was fit to be the king 
that would lead Israel to the heights. Oh God, we we want our agenda. But move us to be men and women of faith who, rather than trust in our agenda, trust you and assume you will rewrite our agenda for our lives. May we keep in mind that it's the goodness, the fullness of God, the one who promised that we might have life and have it abundantly, who's rewriting that agenda. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.